Amen. Well, again, glad that you're here. Uh, Jack, one of the pastors, and if you're new, um, it is a real treat to have you here. We were kind of wrapping up the end of a series that I feel like we've leaned into and enjoyed quite a bit. Y'all enjoyed looking through Ecclesiastes a little bit, and tonight we're kind of wrapping up, getting to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, you can go there. Uh, or if you have your phone, you can actually pull out and look at YouVersion. YouVersion, again, is that free Bible app and all of our notes, if you just click on live events, type in Element City Church, you'll find us. So all our notes, all the scriptures we're going to look at tonight, uh, quotes, some of the notes that I have that I'm going to share uh, are there too. You can go back to it at any point. So um, how many of you have, uh, you enjoy fall? Even fall here. I mean, and we know it's like kind of fall, okay? It's like sort of, it's pseudo fall uh, here. We, I enjoy fall. This is, I think, my favorite time of year. Uh, anytime kind of from middle of October through uh, April is my favorite time of year. And um, it's, amen. Yes, I heard an amen. Uh, it's, it's a great, great time. And one of the things, traditions that we as a family do is we go out to kind of a pumpkin patch. How many of you had a chance to do that or are planning to do that maybe here in November, okay? Anyone ever gone to like Apple Annie's like down south? You gone to that one? Okay. How many of you ever gone to the Marana one? Marana one, uh, by far, I think, best one, okay? Just letting you know. Uh, out there, they got these giant jumping pillows and all that kind of stuff. There's lots of things to do there. There's petting zoos and all uh, sort of kind of things, and you go out in the tractor and you pick your pumpkins and all that kind of stuff, and you come back. We carved all day yesterday, making different creations. I mostly just worked on ones that were, people got tired of doing. Uh, and we just enjoyed it, had a really good time as a family. And one of the things that we love doing uh, is the corn maze. How many of you have ever been in a corn maze before, okay? It is a great feeling when you enter, isn't it? It's like, this is gonna be fun. It's an adventure, maybe you're with family, maybe you're with friends, maybe you're with strangers, weird, uh, but uh, good for you. And uh, you're an extrovert and, and you should go for it. Uh, but you get in there, and I remember this two years ago, um, the sun was beginning to set. And when you're in a corn maze, they give you a little map and they say, here's where the entrance is and you wander around and here's the exit, right? And when you're in the corn maze, what are you looking for? It's not corn. We're playing along at home, yes? Exit, right? You're looking to get out of the corn maze. And then you kind of wonder, why did I go in here? If the whole point was just to get out, I didn't have to go in to start with. Um, but you're there, you go in, the, the sun's beginning to set, and one of my, uh, our, our little son looks at us and says, um, hey, Dad, do you, do you know the way out? And I had to look at her and go, no, uh, not really. In fact, uh, the last 10 minutes, I've been getting a little nervous because I, I didn't say any of this out loud because we don't want to freak our kids out. Um, but in my head, I'm going, I really uh, honestly don't know. I really thought it was around this way, and that's why we've wandered in circles for the last 10 minutes, and you're young enough not to notice that. Um, but we get to the point where the, you finally find the bridge, and the bridge is usually halfway through. And you get to the bridge and you're kind of surveying, trying to find your way through. And you see all the different paths that, that kind of look like they're the way to go. But in the end, there's only one path that leads you to where you really want to go. And we finally found it. There was great joy and jubilation as our family emerged from the uh, corn maze. We realized we would not die. We would eat again. And it would be amazing. And our family would love each other forever. So... Um, we made it out, it was a fun adventure. Maybe you've had moments like that. Maybe you don't get nervous and you're like, hey, I'm surrounded by corn, I've got plenty of food, I'm good. Um, but we were a little bit nervous. That was the first time I've ever been in a corn maze, I'm a little bit nervous. But here's the point of the corn maze. 
there's only one path that gets you to really where you desire to go. And I want you to keep that in mind as we look at what Solomon is going to say in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, because I think in a lot of ways maybe he wrote this from inside a corn maze, because this is what he's saying. This whole entire book is leading to this final conclusion that he's going to make. And remember, Solomon has made his life this great life experiment where he's not going to deny himself any pleasure, any pursuit, and he's going to find out what truly brings the good life, what truly brings life with satisfaction, with happiness, with this pursuit of everything that he's about. I don't know if you remember uh, Blaise Pascal as a 17th century mathematician, inventor, theologian. He had this quote. He said, all men, all women seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to go after this pursuit. Happiness, the good life, it's what people are looking for. And Solomon has gone after this massive pursuit. Everything from any pleasure he could ever uh, imagine, every kind of building project or uh, endeavor that he could take, and in the end, the theme throughout this whole entire book has been life under the sun. Just life the way the world says it should be is what? Meaningless. Meaningless. That's what he's been echoing throughout this entire book. And you're like, I don't know. Is he really, like, it just seems like he's got all this money. It seems like he's got all this stuff. And is it really meaningless? Because we, we feel this tension 3,000 years later. If I just had this, and you fill in the blank, then a lot of us say, well, then I would have the good life. And it's this natural tension that I think humanity has struggled with. That's why so many authors look at uh, Ecclesiastes, and in a lot of ways, even if they don't agree with the Bible, what they're saying is, this is one of the most honest books because it's, it's written so differently. It's this guy's pursuit of things, and he's saying there's this hollowness, and you hear different people in different spheres and influences and, and genres of life who say, I've achieved what the American dream is, and yet there's still something hollow and empty about it, and they're echoing some of the tension that Solomon is pointing to, some of the things that he is saying here in the end. If you read um, verses one through seven, it's this beautiful, poetic look at getting old. <laughs> and here I am staring at 45 going, that's me, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I've now made that, and many of you are you're older than that, and God bless you, and that's awesome, and I'm right behind you. And um, <clears throat> you read those words like I do, and you go, man, that's, there's truth here. And Solomon is saying, hey, remember God in your youth. R remember God in your youth. Pursue him. And this is really beautiful how he writes this. I'm going to read from the New Living. I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. Here's what he's writing toward the end. He's kind of going to give this conclusion. Remember, Solomon has not just written Ecclesiastes. He's written, uh, compiled the book of Proverbs, uh, which is Proverbs, sayings of life, wisdom for life, uh, Song of Solomon. Uh, most scholars believe Ecclesiastes is kind of the last work toward the end of his life. And here's what he says in verse 8. He goes on. He says, everything is what? Meaningless, that's kind of the theme he's been saying, completely meaningless. Keep this in mind. Uh, the teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought, the teacher is him. He's, he's speaking of that. There's obviously another writer with him. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. 
He, some of you who are writers, you, you know that tension where you're writing and you're looking for the, just the right word to convey what you really feel and what you're really trying to communicate. The words of the wise, I love this, are like cattle prods. Painful but helpful. I don't know if you've ever been, I got to have a, a city slicker moment a couple years ago and I got to go out on a little cattle drive and like we branded cattle and did other things that I won't speak about. And, <laughs> I was just like, I could not believe it. And cattle prods, cattle prods are, are painful in a little ways, but it's helpful because it's getting them to go where they need to go. I love how he's saying that. The words of the wise are like cattle prods. Uh, their collected sayings are like nail-studded stick, which shepherds use to drive the sheep. If you've ever seen shepherds, that's literally what they do. They have these, these sticks, they have some nails in it, and they're kind of hitting the sheep a little bit, and it's not mean, but it does get your attention, doesn't it? Because sheep are dumb. It's interesting. We're called sheep in the Bible. Um, <laughs> me too. Um, and he goes on. But my child, let me give you some further advice. I love this is for every student here. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. Can I get an amen from students? Okay, that's the whole story. Now here, verse 13, here is my final conclusion. When someone is saying, here's my final conclusion, that means what they're gonna say next matters, right? We've spent 12 chapters unpacking a little bit of what Solomon is trying to get at, where he's driving, here's what he says. Here's my final conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad, period, the end. So remember how he started this whole book? Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then he comes to the end. Here's the point. Fear God, obey his commandments. God's going to judge the end. That's how he finishes this book. And at first pass, you go, wow, um, couldn't you have written that like in one sentence? <laughs> Didn't I have to read through all these other things and all these pursuits? And remember, here's the point. He went on this life experiment to say, here's how you find the good life. And at every turn, in the middle of the corn maze, it kept leading to a dead end and a dead end and a dead end. And at the end, when he emerged, he says there's one path that will get you what you truly desire. Here it is. Fear God, keep his commands. He's in charge, you're not. That's the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. And what's interesting, you think about fear, and, and for some people, when they think about fear God, and there's a lot of people that are afraid of God, and, and rightfully so. I mean, God is the creator of the universe. He, his power is unlimited. You are limited. I am limited. He, his knowledge is without limitation. Ours is. God stands above everything and before everything, and he will be here long after we're gone. And so it's not this idea of I should never be afraid of God. There's a, hint, there's a, a part of that in here. 
But this idea of fear, for some people, it's this fire and brimstone kind of message. And maybe if you grew up in a, in a Southern Baptist church, you grew up in a church that preached that, hey, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and all that kind of stuff, and that's all you heard every single week, then in a lot of times what you heard is you were hearing, be afraid of God, right? Be afraid of God. And I don't know if that's necessarily what Solomon is saying. There is an ounce of that in here, and there is a truth you need to hold on to that I need to hold on to, that we are to be um, fearful of, but in awe of, I think is what Solomon's really getting at here. When you begin to look at this and peel back the edges, you begin to see that fear has a, a place in our life that's actually a good thing. There's some difference between bad fear and good fear, right? There's a part of this problem that maybe I think is understanding. Uh, Christine Hallman uh, explains kind of the dual nature of good and bad fear. She writes in, a, in a, uh, a study about the benefits of fear. Here's what she says. She says, fear is a tricky human emotion. It can paralyze you and it can keep you small, but it can also keep you safe. Fear can be your friend in just the right doses. I think that's a beautiful way of understanding it. See, fear can paralyze you in illogical ways sometimes. How many of you are, have a phobia of some kind and it terrifies you? I grew up, I got stung in the ear as a kid by a bee and I was scared to death of bees. It was the buzzing sound because I remember back to when I was four and it just, and finally last year I overcame that fear, it was awesome. And so it was a fear that really traveled with me. It was illogical but it was there, it was emotional type thing. Bad fear makes you paralyzed or paranoid uh, to something that can happen that you, is not realistic, but you have made it realistic in your mind, where good fear keeps you from playing hopscotch in the middle of the highway. That's a good fear to have. Hey, maybe I shouldn't play in traffic. That's a healthy fear. We teach our kids healthy fear, right? Look both ways before you cross what? The street. It's a healthy fear, why? Because cars are bigger than you. They weigh more than you. They go faster than you. And so it's a healthy fear that we want people to have and understand. Um, there's a lot of studies that have been done on the brain to kind of understand, okay, where does fear uh, drive and begin to appear? And it actually appears in a lot of places. There was a study done here by Ralph uh, Adolphs, who's a PhD at Caltech, and he begins understanding that the amygdala, which is kind of in the frontal lobe of your brain, uh, oftentimes people talk about your amygdala getting hijacked. Like, if you've ever been so mad that you can't process information, it's because your amygdala got hijacked. You, you literally cannot process information. You cannot think rationally. So if you're ever arguing with someone and you're saying, hey, your shoe is untied, and they're like, my shoe is not untied, and all that kind of stuff, and you're like, they can't process truth in that moment. You need to take a breath, walk away, okay? Because they literally cannot process that. But your amygdala actually plays, it's an underdeveloped part of your brain, but it actually is ignited in fear. And that's why fear can be illogical at times, can have no basis in, in, in rational thought or reality, and yet still grip you and gain control over you. Herein lies the heart of the difference between good fear and bad fear. Good fear is an appropriate reaction to a worthy or real threat, to something that's real. But bad fear is an inappropriate reaction to an unworthy or an imagined threat that just happens to exist. So when Solomon is saying, fear God, what is he saying? He's not talking necessarily about just be afraid of God and live with this irrational understanding of who you are in the universe 
and God is always out to get you. He's the angry grandpa who wants to come up and just swat you because you're out of line again. What he's saying is you've got to live in fear of God, in awe of God. You've got to live, uh, if I were to sum it up, uh, it'd be this. Keep God in view in your life. Keep God in view of your life. Fear God. Acknowledge the fact that you are not all that. Acknowledge the fact that you are not in control. Acknowledge the reality of his presence in this world. Acknowledge the truth that he does exist and that he wants to be on the radar screen of your life. He wants you to take thought of him because he's taking thought of you. He wants to, you to be in alignment with him. Keep God in view. The first thing that we have to understand is Solomon, in his parting volley, is saying that the fear of God means living our lives with God in view. That God is on the radar screen of my life, and every decision I make, every thought that I have, every uh, choice that I make, every direction that I take. That sounds like a song. I should write a song. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there's absolutely foundational that Solomon's conclusion is, every pursuit in life is meaningless and empty when we have pushed God out of view and we just make it about how the world works and about how I can navigate the world and what the world says. If we're not accounting for God to be in the conversation and in the discussion and in the decision making, then you're gonna end up taking a path that will not get you where you desire ultimately it to take you. And it will be meaningless. And you will wake up the older you get and look back and say, that was a path that I just got stuck. And I spent way too many years, way too many months, way too much energy, way too much relational collateral following that pursuit that didn't lead me anywhere. And for some of you, you know that story. You could be up here telling your story of saying, hey, I tried that path and that didn't go where I wanted it to go. I thought it would take me there. But the reality is it wasn't the path that got me out of the maze of life and getting me to what the good life really is. In some ways, the fear of God is nothing more than an accurate and active view of who God really is. When an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-glorious God of the universe enters our field of view, we should be a little bit afraid. We should be a little, whoo, you're big, I'm little. And that's a healthy place to be. That's a healthy framework to have. The point is not that culture is evil. The point is that so many of the pursuits of this culture, of life under the sun, begins to pull us away and kind of push God out of you or pull our view and our attention away from him. And what Solomon is saying is fear God. Keep God in view. You keep him in view. Uh, and to understand that you are not the point I'm not the point. I'm not the reason the universe exists. I don't make the sun revolve around me. And so much of the pursuits of life under the sun is all about me, isn't it? In our culture, in our context, it's so much this idea of ignore God, ignore the fact that you're a part of this story and make the story all about you. It's all about you. And we arrogantly and vainly assume that the universe spins around us and that God is just on the sidelines to be called in from time to time. Friend, that's, that's a scary place to be. 
And Solomon would say, that's, that's meaningless. And you could try that. Go for it. But you're going to end up with the same conclusion that I came to. That that's a meaningless pursuit. And it won't take you where you ultimately want to go. I love, uh, David McCulley uh, delivered this at a 2012, kind of the end of graduation uh, for his high school students here at uh, this high school, and he began to say, this is viral, you can kind of look it up, uh, talks about, you are not special. I don't know if anyone ever, any teachers ever saw this, you can go look it up on YouTube. Uh, he humorously, insightfully kind of debunks the notion that you're the point of the universe. Here's what he says speaking to high school students who have just graduated high school. Do not get the idea that you're anything special. I <laughs> just love that. <laughs> this is halfway into his speech. Uh, even if you are one in a million on a planet of 6.8 billion, uh, the number he gave then, that means that you are nearly, there's nearly 7,000 people just like you. Your planet is not the center of the solar system. Your solar system is not the center of the galaxy. Your galaxy is not the center of the universe. In fact, astrophysicists assure us that the universe has no center, therefore you cannot be it. <laughs> Thank you, mic drop, walk off. Um, just, he didn't do that. You can actually watch the whole speech online. It's, it's amazing to help us remember. I am not all that in a bag of chips. Fear God. And so often, we want people to fear us. We want people to be in awe of us. We want people to go, wow, that person, wow, that person. And the reality is, we're not all that. We can be special and we can be significant. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Friend, you are significant. That the creator of the universe left the ultimate place to be to come be born with great limitation and to live a life that would be filled with great cruelty so that he could die a death of great cruelty so that he would raise himself back up to say, now you have a way home. You are deeply significant, but maybe that's what we need to hold on to. I'm significant, but maybe I'm not the most special person in the universe. Maybe God is the one that he's big, I'm little, I'm not the point. There is only one who is. He has always been, he will always be. Long after your 70, 80, 90 years is long gone and people are treading over you where they buried you. He's still existing, he's still at work, he's still creating. And so the challenge for us is to understand, hey, maybe I need to fear God and keep his commands. Keep his commands is this idea of living in alignment with the way God wants things to be, the way he desires things to be, the way that he dreamed up things should be and work their best. Live in alignment with that. I don't know if you've ever had your car out of alignment where um, you're driving down the street and it's like the, the car wants to pull to the left or pull to the right. You actually have to fight with the steering wheel to keep it going straight. And so many of us, we live our lives that way. Say, so God, uh, I know this is the way you want me to go, but I'm just gonna kind of fight you a little bit. I'm gonna make it out of alignment. And God's saying, no, look, this is what's best for you. Pursue this, go after this. Let's go this way together. And it's like, God, I'm just gonna get that sidecar uh, attached to the car. 
or attached to the motorcycle, and I'm just gonna unclip the clip, and I'm gonna kinda go this way a little bit. And God's saying, no, 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 why don't you just, why don't you just live with me in view? Have a proper view about yourself, and let's just live in alignment together. I promise you I'm gonna lead you the best possible way to live. I think that's what the Bible, all throughout the scriptures, is saying to us. And I think when you look at Ecclesiastes from a 30,000 foot view, I think that's what Solomon's getting at. His friends, there's so many of these different pursuits that you could take, and you can end up living your entire life inside the corn maze. And you would have food to eat, but you would be bored. You wouldn't like it. No one likes to be lost forever, right? The point of the corn maze is to find the one path that will get you to where you really desire to go. And Solomon's saying, hey, there is one path in all the paths under the sun that are laid out there that call for our attention, that are like a bunch of barking chihuahuas trying to get our attention. To say, pursue me, pursue this, pursue this, pursue this. And Solomon's saying, look, there's there's a still small voice and you need to train yourself to listen to it because it's the one path that will take you to the good life that you ultimately desire to have and experience with him. So fear God. Keep his commands. Live in alignment with him. It's the best way to live. Live in awe of him. Keep him in view. Keep a proper view about yourself and align yourself to him. I love um, John writes these uh, words in 1 John chapter 2. He says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers for you. For when you love the world, you you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, or pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. This is life under the sun, he's saying. And then he goes on, and this world is fading away. That's what Solomon's realizing. This is fading, it's a slippery slope. Along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This is about living above the sun, living for the sun, and living things that are different than just below the sun or under the sun, of what Solomon is saying. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, he says this, since you have been raised to a new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. You think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. In essence, Paul just summed up Ecclesiastes. He took 12 chapters, put it in two sentences. Since you've been raised up by the Son and you live above the Son, here's what you need to do. You need to put your sights, your ears, your attention, your eyes on the things of what God says, the things of His reign, the way things work when He's in control. And you live for that. And you let the things of this world fade. Does that mean you can't have the things of this world? Not at all. It's not this idea that you can't experience any of these things. Solomon's never knocked that at all. What he says is, if you look for these things to be the the thing that brings you the good life, then you will wake up in emptiness. And he will say this is meaningless. There's nothing wrong with the things. What he's saying is, who are you ultimately putting your trust in? And who are you ultimately looking to? That if I had to write a bottom line for all the Ecclesiastes, I think I would echo uh, Solomon's words this way. Remember God, revere God, resolve to follow him. 
Remember God. Keep him in view. Revere God. He's big. I'm little. Have a proper view of myself. Remember him. Revere him. Resolve to follow him. To live understanding that God is a good God who desires for you to have a good life. And he wants you to find it in him. And he says, God, uh, I think he's saying, look, I'm not a God to be trifled with. And you can follow your own pursuits and you'll, you'll wake up where you wake up. And you'll wake up in the, the despair, the emptiness that you might experience when you finally play things out far enough. But I'm here to tell you, I have a way for you to find home. I have a way for you to come home and to find hope. Even in our observations of this world, uh, sometimes it can leave us perplexed and confused. I've got many questions for God. I have many things that I don't have figured out. I have many things that I wonder about, but I think at the end of the day, I'm okay living with some of those questions because I have a bigger answer than those questions. And ultimately, that's what Solomon's driving home, is the ultimate answer is God. And if you know that he's pursuing a relationship with you, that he's revealed a plan for this world to us, that he holds, uh, he holds us and he holds us to what he desires for us. He's given us guidelines that help us live in this world. He's shown us how to make sense of it. And most of all, he sent his son to say, he's gonna take the sins of the world upon himself. He's gonna die on my behalf in my place. And he's gonna rise again that I might rise and live with him and he will get me through anything this world throws at me and he will get me home into eternity because I'm with him. Remember God, revere God. Resolve to follow after him. To say, hey, I wanna pursue that. Fear God and keep his commands. Don't delay that pursuit of life. That's what he says in the first part of chapter 12. Remember God, revere God, resolve to follow him in your youth. When you have those, uh, when you have the energy that you have and you have the, the focus that you have, resolve to make it a point then. Don't take life's experiment the way he did. And so, lots of questions that come with the whole study of Ecclesiastes. I told you before at the very beginning, it's not a book that's written like any other in the Bible. It's drastically different. It seems really hopeless at times. And I think maybe that's the point. That Solomon's coming to a place where all these life pursuits he's just found to be hopeless until he remembers. Remember God. Keep him in view. Keep a proper view of yourself and align yourself with him. That's how you find the good life. And so in a moment, we're going to observe communion and just remember and lean into that moment. I invite you to do that. Uh, we have tables in the middle here and tables down front. And just invite you in the space of that. Then we're going to have a song. Uh, we're going to have a kind of a closing announcement and prayer over our Ecuador team. So if you're on our Ecuador team going with us next Saturday, uh, just meet me over here during after communion. And then uh, we're going to pray together and then end with a final song. So that's kind of where we're going in the next few minutes. I want to give you some space to contemplate. What's, what's one thing that throughout this whole study of Ecclesiastes, you feel like God's kind of said, hey, this is your one thing. This is, this is what I want you to hold on to. Maybe it's something you heard tonight. Maybe it's something you heard over the last six weeks. What's the thing that you feel like God's saying, hey, I want you to keep this in perspective. I want you to take these next steps in life, these next seasons of life, and I want you to kind of keep this in mind. So what is this 
for you. And I'm just going to give you some space right now, and then I'm going to pray. Uh, and we'll move into communion and invite you to be a part of that as we remember the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But I just want to get you just the stillness of the space. And it may feel awkward because uh, it's quiet. That's okay. I, I don't think we do this very often in life. We're kind of busy. We fill our lives with sound and noise. And so I just want to give you about 30 seconds. And I want you to think back over these last seven weeks. And just you and God. God, what's the one thing that you want me to hold on to? So let's do that. Father, I thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. Challenging book, Ecclesiastes, not an easy read. At times a little confusing, at times a little perplexing. But I think very sound. It's one, it's a text that I think speaks to this culture 3,000 years later. A culture of clutter, a culture of of so many pursuits that, that clamor for our attention that seek to pull us different ways. But in the end, there is one path that will ultimately take us where we truly desire to go, to experience the good life. God, we want to be a people that keep you in view. And everything we do and how we live and interact and react and the decisions and choices we make They're not going to be perfect, but would you just help us to keep you in view? And when we skew away from that or push you aside, would we quickly come back to putting you back in the center of view? Would you help us to have a proper perspective of ourselves? That we're not all that. You are, God. You're the great one. We're just ecstatic that you picked us to be on your team. That you pursued us. Because you said that we're significant. We got ultimately, you're, you're the big deal. Help us to live our lives in alignment with you, to push the attention back to you. Not in weird ways, but in very authentic and real ways. That the people we rub shoulders with and spend life with would see that we look to you above the sun. We don't look to a world that's just under the sun, offering all these things that we know ultimately lead us to emptiness, to meaninglessness. So we anchor ourselves again tonight to the life, the death, the resurrection, the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. As he pursued us, said, you're significant, I come for you. As he extended his hand and said, would you choose me? As he holds us securely to take us through anything we face in this life and securely home to the life to come. So Father, as we take communion, as we worship you, stir our hearts to be a people that remember you, that revere you, that resolve to follow you the best we know how. We pray that 
Jesus' name.